I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass, busted draft pick, and game-changing play. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow and listen to Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. I mean, the possibilities are limitless, Kevin. What if Portland drafted Michael Jordan? What if the NBA never vetoed the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers? That's a butterfly effect for real. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in the deep right center field. Lorenzo King. To end the game. And we've got you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line. It's gone. Manny Machado breaks it open with a three run shot. With veteran play by play voice Josh Lewis. A slam ball game. And MLB insider John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. Harper to center, way back. See you later. It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class and alongside John Heyman, I'm simply Josh Lewin. Uh, John, of course, been covering Major League Baseball in written form for a a very long time. Uh, I'm more on the broadcast side, but we both have our our fingers at least near the pulse. Each week, we're bringing you insight into the top storylines across Major League Baseball, including a rundown of the happenings in each division and we're going to be chatting with some of the best baseball people in the country. Thad Levine of the Twins will join us. Zach Zabin is coming up, Cubs uh, pre- and post-game host on 670 The Score. Big Time Baseball, a part of Radio.com, which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. Over 1,100 podcasts, including ours, and you can explore by location to find whatever you need. One of the big things, John, as we start out here today that I want to ask you about is now that it's starting to get even a little bit warm, that is to say not 40 anymore in a lot of these places, we're already in this mode home run balls are zipping over fences. Uh, where is this going? How many are going to actually end up being hit? I mean, we're on pace for about 6,500 of these bad boys right now. All-time record is 56.93, and that's when guys were juicing. So uh, is that good for the game? Is it uh, anything for the game, or is it just is what it is? <laughs> well, I think uh, people dig the long ball. Uh, they probably like to see more balls in play, more triples, more stolen bases, more things like that. But I, I don't think anybody's against the home run ball, per se. And uh, just a byproduct of guys getting stronger, uh, the park staying the same size, and also I think the analytics uh, putting an emphasis on hitting the home run and the value of, of the home run and 
how valuable that is in terms of wins and uh, pay, uh, making money for the players. So uh, the game has certainly changed. Uh, I'm not against it. Uh, everything evolves, and this is the way baseball is evolving. So I'm all f- for the long ball, and I'm one of the many that d- dig the long ball. It's funny because I'm talking to you from Baltimore where the Orioles are on pace to give up about <laughs> 400 home runs. The, the all-time record is, is about 260 by the Cincinnati Reds a few years ago. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of adjusting <laughs> our, our barometers here they, on all this. Yeah, they may not dig the long balls in Baltimore right now. No, but that's not a so much. small it's, park and inexperienced uh, pitching staff, and, uh, you know, they're in a, in a a stark rebuild, let's say. Well, yeah, and it's a flammable mix right now. I, I want to start in the LA since we're there anyway. Uh, obviously, at the very top of that division, Tampa Bay continues to show it's for real. And I'm just curious because obviously with the start of Tyler Glass now and if Blake Snell doesn't drop uh, 80 pounds of ceramics on his feet anymore, he should be still very good. Uh, Charlie Morton, obviously. Uh, It certainly seems like they've got some staying power. And as the Yankees get healthier and as the Red Sox round into form, uh, it just seems like Tampa Bay is absolutely not going away. They're tied with the best run differential in the league with Houston at a plus 46. They won 90 games last year. We've got to stop pretending this is some upstart story at this point they are clearly clearly not going away but i will say this uh boston has awoken from its nap uh and i do think there is a hangover after a world series win and particularly one where you take 119 wins and do it in that kind of a fashion and it is pretty clear they are back now and i know run differential isn't everything but they had the worst run differential in baseball in about three days they made it up and their run differential is even right now so uh, I understand the price injury is certainly a concerning for the Red Sox, but uh, they are a very strong team. And the Yankees, considering all their injuries and all the players they're going to be getting back, we know they're a strong team. And obviously, this is a very, very strong division. So that's a threat to Tampa. Not that Tampa's going away, but it's the competition. You know, and the Yankees lose James Paxton. Meantime, we should point out that Domingo Herman has been unreal. He's got a whip of about 0.8. So you know, the, the few guys that are healthy for the Yankees are at least doing their thing. L- let me take you over, John, to the AL Central. To me, there's, there's one surprise player I, I want to make sure we remember to talk about. And maybe Hunter Dozier is somebody you knew about already. But this guy had a 673 OPS last year. This year it's 1,100. And with Alex Gordon playing like Alex Gordon used to play and this guy doing what he's doing, you don't necessarily snooze with Kansas City. They're stealing bases. I mean, I know this team won't win many games, but what a what a fun team to have to to look at every once in a while. Yeah, they're they're the most fun 12 and 23 team that I can ever remember. <laughs> and stealing bases, I mean that that's you know we that's always been a fun thing, but particularly in this day and age where nobody else is stealing bases, and uh, they have built their team for their park, and it helped them get to the World Series twice. The only small, true small market team that's won a World Series. So give Dayton Moore and company credit there, and they are certainly an interesting team. Their draft last year with all those pitchers. Fantastic. Lynch and the others are looking really, really good. But you mentioned Hunter Dozier, and I remember when he was picked in the draft a couple of years back, and people were like, what, Hunter Dozier? Because I'm one of those nerds who follows the draft. They're like, Hunter Dozier, really? He's picked at this point? And I can't remember the exact spot, but it was in the top half of the first round, and people could not believe it. And you know what? The guy looks fantastic. I certainly had no inkling of this. You mentioned the OPS under 700 last year. Nobody saw this coming, and good for Kansas City, and it's very good scouts uh, uh, to figure that one out. But uh, it's certainly one of the more interesting teams with a 343 winning percentages in baseball history. We're going to talk to a team uh, general manager in the AL Central shortly whose club has got a much better winning percentage. Thad Levine is going to join us, and we're excited about that. But right now, uh, as long as we're talking about the AL Central, but I think everybody else on the planet had Cleveland, and, and I look at Cleveland now, the guy that was leading the Indians in home runs as they reached May was Leonis Martin. Corey mm. Kluber goes out, obviously, with, with the arm fracture. I mean, this team's got issues. Yeah, I mean, to lose, their starting pitching was, if not the best in baseball and paper, in the top two or three with the Mets and the Nats, no question about that, but to lose Clevenger and Kluber, two out of their four big guys, 
that really hurts. And they're pretty fortunate and give them credit for being 18 and 14 now with all that's gone wrong. I thought their lineup was not as balanced as it could be. Uh, Lindor and Ramirez, obviously superstars. Or Ramirez hasn't shown it to this point. Lindor has been out, and that's another reason. Give them credit, 18-14, pretty miraculous. I, I think Cleveland uh, did not have an offseason where they did anything really uh, big to help the team, whereas Minnesota did. And that's kind of what I like uh, about the Twins. They, they were building for this year. It felt like Cleveland was taking a step back, even though they were way up, way in front. Even that small step back felt like a big one to me. And I, and I obviously it's early, but I, I do uh, like to mention, I thank you for mentioning that I did pick the Twins. We'll see. It's uh, we're, we're only a little more than a month into the season, though. Well, and, and we'll save our, our true Minnesota love for when Thad Levine is on. But, you know, for those that were saying they were just beating up on weak teams, they just faced the Astros and Yankees last week and went 4-3. and three. So just putting that out there. R- real quick in the AL West, Otani's coming back for the Angels. And maybe because we're just so jaded by Mike Trout and his greatness, I don't hear a lot of people talking about this incredible start that he's off to this season. Mike Trout, well, he's one of the greatest players of all time. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, people have talked more about his contract than his play. They expect this kind of play from him. And, uh, I mean, one of the great contact hitters, great speed, uh, great power, great defender. I mean, when people compared to Mickey Mantle earlier, I know people's uh, eyebrows were raised, but now they kind of understand that uh, not only does he look a little bit like the Mick, he certainly plays a lot like him, and uh, he's just an, a fabulous player. With all that's gone wrong with the Angels, uh, to be within striking distance right now, uh, a tribute to Trout, no question about that, and the fact that Otani's coming about, back soon gives it, should give them a huge lift. Obviously, Otani, one of the most talented players on the planet, and you've got Trout. So it's a very exciting team to watch. I'm not sure that they're expecting to be contenders this year, but uh, they certainly will be very, very interesting and a, a joy to behold. I'm going to swing you over to the NL East for a sec here. And, uh, you know, one plot line, I, I guess, that developed here is that you've got Scherzer, you've got DeGrom, you've got Nola. They, they all had horrible Aprils. I mean, nobody really saw that plot line. But, uh, I think the one thing that everybody was already in on was that whoever figures out the bullpen out of all four of those contenders, they're probably the team that has the edge. Has anybody figured out their bullpen yet in the NL East? I I really don't think so, and that's what amazes me that Kimbrell is still out there. A former Brave, they certainly made him an offer towards the end of spring and gave it a shot on on a one-year deal. Uh, he did not take that at the time. Uh, obviously, Philly is is now without David Robertson, their big uh, bullpen sign. They made a lot of great moves in the offseason, but that was their big bullpen sign. Uh, the Mets are having problems with Familia. Obviously, that, that's been an issue. Washington, Trevor Rosenthal doesn't look right yet, coming off of the uh, Tommy John surgery, and uh, their bullpen has been very poor to this point. So, uh, really, all four bullpen bullpens still have questions. I mean, if you look at the bullpen arms right now, it looks like Miami might have the best bullpen. Obviously, they're not a contender, and they don't even seem to be a threat to even win games, and they have a 73 run differential negative, uh, but their pen may be better than the other four teams. And and please do me a favor. Talk to Philly fans for 30 seconds. Tell them that the fact that Bryce Harper hit 192 between April 5th and May 4th that, that's just a little ripple in the pond, right? That, that's not who he yeah. is. Yeah. Well, you know what? The batting average, as the, I mean, give the analytics people credit, there are more important numbers than batting average. Obviously, OPS, and, you know, they, they are very complicated numbers that are much more important that are above my head. But I don't think batting average is the be all and end all. He hit 249 last year and still managed to get a, a $330 million contract. And uh, in terms of, uh, uh, the gate and the interest and the cachet, he certainly has been excellent. And to this point, he has performed maybe a little below expectations and certainly in, in the batting average area, but uh, he certainly has contributed to the fact that they are in first place. He is definitely part of that. He's John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. It's Big Time Baseball presented by Radio.com Sports. we got a couple minutes to spend in the NL Central, and I'm going to completely blow your mind, John. I know you're thinking I'm going to talk Cubs and Cardinals because those are the sexy teams or even the Brewers. I want to ask you about Cincinnati because here comes Nick Senzel, cannonballed into the pool here already. 
their pitching. Where did this come from? Luis Castillo <laughs> changeup is phenomenal. His, I know they, you know, they they bring in Derek Johnson as a new pitching coach. They bring in Lee Tunnel and Caleb Cotham, a lot of guys that know a lot about pitching. But yeah, and I know they're not going to win the division. But man, I, I'm kind of impressed by what Cincinnati looks like. Absolutely, and I give them credit for not. Uh tanking or taking a step back or rebuilding or anything, uh, you know, going into this year, it didn't look like they would be a contender and, and they probably still won't be a contender, although they have played well, much better than their record indicates. I understand they're in, they're in last place, but uh, they, they have pitched extremely well. Uh, they brought up Van Meter, who had 13 home runs in the minor minors. They brought up a Senzel, who's been uh, fantastic already and uh, is a big-time star. I think Nick Sandell is going to be a big player for the Reds, and uh, I think they have a really good team. I, I really don't even want to write them off completely. I, I pick Milwaukee. Uh, the Cubs are obviously good. The Cardinals are always good. Pittsburgh has the pitching. I'm not going to say that they have no chance, and I give them credit for going into this year and saying, you know what, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't look like we have a chance to win, but uh, let's try our best to put a team together, make some deals, and do the best that we can. And not every team is, does that. And I give Cincinnati credit for doing that, and I think it's paying dividends so far, and it will pay dividends this year, and I think they're definitely a team to watch. I want to finish in the NL West, and the Dodgers obviously so talented and so deep and everybody's assuming they're just going to run away and hide at some point. They lead the league and run scored. They're on pace to hit something like 270 home runs. But Kenley Jansen has been giving up some home runs. Hunter Renfro just walked him off in San Diego, and uh, he's on pace to give up, well, 16 home runs this year. He's a closer. So is that a concern as we watch the, the supernova that's Cody Bellinger? I, I want to make sure you talk about him too, but – is there a concern about the Dodgers at all? I'm not really. I don't think so. I mean, Jansen obviously didn't have a great uh, post or even a good postseason, and that's kind of carried over. And, uh, you know, uh, I think he's got enough of a track record. I know year uh, relievers go year to year, and but he's not one of those guys. I, he's had enough of a record that uh, I, I believe in him. And Bell, in terms of Bellinger, I certainly been the best player in baseball to date, which is saying something because Yelich has been unbelievable. I mean, I don't know. At this point, I guess Bellinger's the MVP, Yelich is two, and Baez is three, but uh, they all have been incredible. Uh, Bellinger, I mean, the triple crown in April, and the guy, I saw something about the foot speed. He's in the top 4% of speed and uh, as a runner, and I, I don't think many people would have realized that. And you know what? You could probably put him on the mound. He throws 93, 94 miles an hour. And uh, in terms of all-around ability, I, you know, I wonder if anybody's more talented than Cody Bellinger in, in Major League Baseball. I'm not sure that anybody is. That's John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. Stand by. We've got Dad Levine. We've got Zach Zabin. And we'll have it right after this. From getting started as the Senior Director of Baseball Operations with the Rangers to business development with the Dodgers, he later spent 11 seasons as the Rangers' Assistant General Manager. Now the twin Senior Vice President and General Manager since 2016. That's hit to center and hit pretty well. Going back is Rickard. Still going back at the wall. Leaps and scores. It's Thad Levine on Big Time Baseball. It's Radio.com's presentation of Big Time Baseball. Josh Lewin, John Heyman with you. Very nice to have Thad Levine on the horn with us here. He is the third-year general manager of the Twins, having come from the Texas Rangers, helped John Daniels build that thing way, way up in the early part of this decade. And now looks like the Twins are swinging the weighted donut on deck here. Uh, they might have next to be that kind of team. Uh, everybody figured it was going to be Boston and Houston and the Yankees at the tippy top of the American League. There's an interloper. Uh, it's Minnesota. And Thad, first of all, congratulations. I know you're probably not surprised by the success, but you got to be happy with it. Oh, ecstatic. I mean, we had a lot of young talent here. The guys who, in between 17 and 18, kind of individually had taken steps forward. Very few of the guys had taken steps forward in both seasons. We just kept telling ourselves, if we could get this young core of players moving in the right direction together, we thought we could achieve something pretty special. And we added some key pieces this offseason, some nice veteran leadership. Dad, it's John Heyman. Um, you know, I, not to toot my own horn, but I will for a second. I actually picked the Twins. I know we're early here uh, to win the division uh, this year after a, a visit to Fort Myers. I was very impressed by your offense. I just didn't think your lineup would quit. 
Uh, I got some backlash, as you always do on Twitter and elsewhere these days. And, of course, the big point that everybody made was that the Twins' ace would be the Indians' number five starter. Uh, And I'm assuming they were talking about Barrios, who I'm not sure if that's true anyway. I think he's very good. But make a case. What did you think? Uh, when this season started, did you think that you guys uh, could win this division realistically? Did you feel that maybe uh, teams were underrating you? Obviously, you, you had a very good first season. You took a step back last year, and I guess uh, some people jumped off the bandwagon. But what did you think? Well, we think you're a genius, John. I, we're all on board with your prognostications. I, you know, I, I think it's easy to look at the teams and say, you know, Cleveland has been the class of the American League Central for, for the last handful of seasons. And so until they're unseated, they're going to be the favorite. And they do have a tremendous starting rotation. And then they have some, some all-star players on, on their position player side. But we felt top to bottom, 1 through 25, we had a genuine opportunity to compete with them. We knew that their starting rotation may have a little bit of an edge. We were trying to build up our offense. Uh, and build up the back end of our bullpen. And we, we do think that our starting rotation is going to be very competitive in the American League. I think Jose Burrios is emerging as a bona fide top-of-the-rotation type guy. Martin Perez has been a nice reclamation project for us, and Wes Johnson and Jeremy Hefner have done a tremendous job of helping him tweak his pitch mix, and then he, he deserves all the credit for what he's done. Jake Odorizzi is off to a terrific start back-to-back, tremendous outings against two of the best offenses in the major league in the New York Yankees and Houston Astros, Michael Pineda's coming back, and Cal Gibson rounds out our rotation. So we feel very much like we're competitive on the starting rotation side. And then, as you just mentioned, I think we view our lineup as one through nine as being pretty unrelenting. Uh, and that's the way we were hoping to beat teams uh, day in and day out here in the American League. You know, you, you brought the name of Wes Johnson up, Thad, and, and a really interesting hire, a lot of people thought, from the college ranks, no experience in pro ball whatsoever, but he built a stellar reputation, obviously, at Arkansas and Dallas Baptist, but more than anything, he's just so good with the analytics, and I know you guys have valued that for a long time. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Well, you know, I think a lot was made of the fact that he came straight from the collegiate space to, to Major League Baseball. And I guess we didn't really put a whole lot of concern behind that because the notion that he hadn't worked with professional athletes we thought was a little misguided. Uh, he's, he's actually worked with a number of pitchers who've gone on to play minor league and Major League Baseball. What, what is so impressive about Wes is his intelligence married up with his ability to create individualized programming for each and every one of our pitchers. You know, I think gone are the days where you have one style of pitching that you teach throughout your organization. Uh, and he is he's extremely adept at sitting down with a pitcher, trying to really drill down on their strengths, hone those, and then help him enhance his package. And then if the pitcher somehow doesn't get it the first time, Wes is tireless in his efforts to help them. So we married him up with Jeremy Hefner, former major league pitcher, who, who has run our advanced scouting for the last couple of years. He's our bullpen coach. Between the two of them, they've done just an excellent job, I think, of pushing our pitchers to achieve even what maybe what scouts hadn't believed they could, and, and the pitchers deserve a ton of credit. I want to ask you about two interesting players on your roster, uh, different types of players. One, Astadio, and the other, Mitch Garver. Garver, just a late boomer, uh, really came into the majors, I believe it was last year, at 27, and now he is uh, hitting home runs and playing fantastically uh, behind the plate. And Astadio, uh, he did have a walk and a strikeout when he went on the DL. First of all, how was he doing? And uh, when did you guys realize this could be a major league player? He's an unusual look and an unusual skill set, uh, but he is a fan favorite and really an effective all-around player who can do a lot of things. Uh, our scouts deserve a ton of credit there. We, you know, we, we signed him last offseason as a minor league free agent. Uh, he was out there for any, any team to sign. He came in and he just immediately endears himself to the coaching staff. He plays with tremendous amount of confidence and surprising athleticism. I mean, he, is, he has played literally first base, second base, third base, center field, and left field and catcher for us in his time with us. The minute he showed up last year, he was showing videos of how he played center field in winter ball in which he, quote, robbed a home run. And when you watch the video, he actually jumps as high as he can get, and it's about only halfway up the wall to catch a, catch a fly ball and he claims he was robbing a home run, but it's a guy who plays with a ton of confidence and swagger. And in a day and age where everyone's hitting home runs and swinging and missing, this guy is a unicorn in the sense that he simply does not swing and miss. He puts the ball in play. Uh, he keeps things going. And I think that the managers love working with him as a result of those things. And then you also mentioned Mitch Garver. 
you got to give Mitch a, a ton of credit for the, the progress he's made, and really it's on the defensive side. I think we always viewed him as an offensive-minded catcher, uh, but today's game requires that for a guy to get enough plate appearances behind the plate, he has to be able to be a, a defensive, at least neutral, if not plus. Uh, Mitch was given a program this offseason. He's really transformed himself defensively, and as a result, I, I, I think he's gotten the opportunity to get some more everyday reps. It doesn't hurt the fact that both those guys have Jason Castro, who's a consummate professional uh, here, who has kind of mentored both of those guys. I think they both have taken significant strides defensively behind the plate as a result of working with Jason Castro. I got one more. I know John's got one more for Thad Levine. Thad, thank you for joining us here uh, today on Big Time Baseball. Uh, Your manager fascinates me, not only because he's a a devotee of of the band fish i don't think a lot of i mean like bruce bochy's <laughs> not for example but uh here's a guy in rocco baldelli he played for terry francona in boston he worked with kevin cash who's a disciple of tito's and i think he's been influenced by both of them but here's a guy that gets off to a nice start does that validate things a little bit kind of like alex cora last year was this in-demand hot shot guy uh, and you know they get out 17 and 2 and he can do no wrong is there an element of that? Because, I mean, I know you know you've got the right guy, but it, it seems like it just validates everybody and the confidence everybody has in him. Well, you know, Josh, I think anybody who gets a chance to spend time with Rocco Baldelli feels that almost instantaneous validation. I, I think he's just such a representative of the wave of today's manager. You mentioned Alex Cora. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Cash. And, you know, additionally, he got a chance to work with Lou Pinella and Joe Madden. So he, he's been... He's had the tutelage of four of the best managers probably in, the, in recent memory. Uh, but I think these guys in today's game really are great personality, great relationship-building guys. Uh, you know, I think gone are the days where you have one edict of this is the Twins' way of playing baseball and everyone has to adhere to it. And if you don't, you got to get out of town. Rocco has an amazing ability to connect to people's hearts and heads. And I do think that's what today's players demand. He comes from Tampa Bay, which is you know, clearly on the cutting edge of, of implementation of, of strategies and analytics. And so he's very adept in that space. He's also not that far removed from his playing career. So I think he can really relate to the players. And then lastly, you know, we kind of forget how great a player Rocco was. And at age 28, the game was taken away from him due to a condition, a health condition that didn't really allow him to thrive on the field. So in terms of our players who have had any sort of adversity that they've faced, I think he can truly relate because nothing's more adverse than having the game taken away from you when you're a young man. I just agree with everything you just said about Rocco Baldelli. And normally when a, a manager is hired, I just take a wait-and-see approach. But with Rocco Baldelli, I think if you, if you know him at all, you're a fan. And, uh, just a terrific baseball guy, a very, very bright guy, and a very nice, engaging fellow. So I, I, I think that was one of the best hires. Uh, I know that there have been a lot of managerial turnover, but in the last several years, I, I love that hire. Um, I'm going to turn to one of your players, and that's Byron Buxton. And we, we all are always reminded that baseball is a tough game and progress is rarely, rarely linear. Uh, but Buxton is showing some very good signs this year. I mean, obviously, we know he's the fastest guy in baseball. We see the sprint speeds. But, I mean, a guy right now with one home run who's still got an 805 uh, uh, OPS, pretty darn good. Um uh, you know, he hasn't shown maybe the power that you like so far, but uh, certainly has been uh, uh, productive, more productive this year. What, what do you see from Buxton, and, and do you still feel that he can be a superstar? I, I, I say unequivocally, yes. I think what he does on the defensive side alone makes him worthy of coming to the ballpark to watch him play. And for, for a guy to win the platinum glove two years ago as an outfielder, I think that's pretty unheard of. Usually that's an award that goes to an infielder gets a lot more defensive reps, but he, he's nothing shy of spectacular defensively. He's nothing shy of spectacular when he's running the bases. And I know you referenced the fact that he's got one home run, but I do believe he's, he's if, if he's not leading the league in, in doubles, he's right up at the top of the list and same with triples. So I think this guy is one of the most dynamic players in our game. Uh, the biggest difference for me, 2018 to 2019 is that Byron's smiling again. And when he's smiling, great things are happening. He, this guy plays with some some kind of energy and charisma. And I think he's one of those players that you watch over your career and you realize he's not meant to be perfect out there. He's, he's meant to be marvelous. And if he's marvelous, he's going to do some great things. And uh, fans are going to be dying to see him play in the outfield. And 
and, and, and at the plate. I mean, the, his ability to get from first to third or, or from home to second is, is nothing shy of remarkable to watch. So I, I think there are great things on the horizon. I think you referenced it at the outset, John. I think some, some people's paths are a little bit uh, less linear and a little bit more circuitous than others. And I think when all is said and done, Byron Buxton will be a, a, a truly, truly splendid Major League Baseball player. Thad Levine, you're marvelous. Congratulations mm-hmm. on the, the quick start and everything you've put together. Really appreciate you, buddy. Take care. Oh, great, great talking to you guys. Thank you for having me on. You betcha. We've got Zach Zaidman straight ahead with uh, the Cubs radio network. He's going to we'll keep it in the Midwest, John. We're going to keep on talking <laughs> about good. teams with hot starts that are in the Midwest, and we'll do that right after this. From the Chicago Bears sidelines to the baseball diamond, he served as the Cubs radio pre- and post-game host over the last two seasons. Brian drives one in the air to center field and deep. Back goes Bader. Still going. Near the wall. Bader leaping. That's a great grand slam a grand slam for chris bryant and the cubs have turned it into a rout it's zach Siegman on big time baseball well the cubs obviously have you turned it very quickly they started one and six zach Zaidman joins us of course he's a cubs radio pre and post game guy for 670 the score a radio.com station by the way and Zach, it's been an interesting team to cover. Pretty quick turnaround. An MLB best 18 and six since that one and six start. Josh, to me, what's amazing is how the city of Chicago panicked after the one and six start, forgetting about the championship DNA of the core for the last four years. They made the playoffs every season, one championship, and we're talking about the Cubs here and three deep postseason runs. And I think people just kind of panicked because the narrative coming out of spring training was October starts in March. The actual team got the memo late. October has started in April and continued into May. Zach, John Heyman here. I know you aren't panicking because you're a smart baseball guy. I know there was one website out there predicting 70 wins or some 75 wins for the Cubs. Made no sense. They, they obviously have that core. Uh, they're a very good team. Uh, but are they this good? Is this uh, obviously that first week was a mirage, but are, are they as good as they're playing now? Well, I think offensively they are. That hasn't been an issue. I, I think... Coming into the season, there were some people that were worried about the Cubs from an offensive standpoint because they stumbled down the stretch of last season. But I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they played something in the neighborhood of 42 games in 43 days to close out the stretch. And they didn't have Chris Bryant. And even if Chris Bryant isn't operating at the kind of level that we've become familiar with uh, during his heyday, I think he impacts the lineup, everyone from top to bottom, because you can't ignore the impact that he makes if you're an opposing team. So having him back, I think, has made a big difference. Now, in terms of the pitching, that to me was the reason that one of those websites had the Cubs winning, what, 70 games, because they felt the Cubs pitching staff was a little bit too old. Now, can the pitching stay this hot? I don't know, but I know the offense can, and if the offense continues to do what it's done, if they continue to operate at that level, then you take a lot of the pressure off of the pitching staff. What would concern me going forward, the Cubs are banged up in their bullpen. The offense has been so good, but you know eventually you're going to run into some good pitching, and you're going to go through a stretch where the offense slumps a little bit. And when you're in those tight games and you have to rely on your bullpen, will they have enough going forward? Time remains to be seen whether or not that's going to be the case. Cubs insider Zach Zabin visiting with us here. Big time baseball presented by Radio.com. And uh, I thought it was fascinating coming out of 2018 into 19, Zach, because Theo Epstein described that 95-win season of last year with the words collective failure. So that tells us loud and clear this was going to be a really important season, certainly for Joe Madden with the, the clock ticking on the final season of, of his deal. you got a rock star lineup that, as you said, kind of faded last September. No additions to their core position players coming in. So it was almost like we were going to learn how much this band wants to stay together beyond 2019 just kind of right away. Yeah, that's a great point. But I think the way I looked at it at the end of last season – I just think there was an overreaction because of the way things transpired down the stretch. The Brewers did a fantastic job of taking advantage and pouncing on what was for them an easy schedule, playing a lot of home games, having every Thursday off during the month of September. Whereas when you look at the Cubs, because of rainouts and just the way the schedule worked out, they had this monster stretch of something in the neighborhood of 42 games in 43 days. The way I looked at it, there were some several big additions over the course of the offseason this year. You know, Bryce Harper goes to Philly, and you have Manny Machado going to San Diego. The Cardinals add Paul Goldschmidt. And to me, the Cubs added Chris Bryant. 
He was a non-factor last year. They bring him into the mix, and he's as good as any of the other names that I mentioned, and now he's beginning to heat up. You start to add him to an Anthony Rizzo that's been red hot to start the season, to the fact that Javier Baez has a slash line that's better than last season when he finished the runner-up to the NL MVP, Christian Yelich. Jason Hayward has got it going offensively now, hitting 300 and OPS over 900, and Wilson Contreras has picked up after a, a down year last season. The ingredients are there to have a successful run, and that's why I still think the Cubs are the team to beat in the National League Central, despite what transpired at the tail end of last season. Zach, uh, Josh mentioned Joe Madden, who I think is one of the more interesting stories of the 2019 season. Uh, certainly one of the most successful managers going, and the highest paid at $6 million right now, tied uh, with Bruce Bochy, who is going to be retiring after the year. Uh, it did appear to be some tension. I know they downplayed it between the front office and Joe Madden. Obviously, generally, the dynamic has changed to some degree uh, with managers and, and front offices, and the managers are often viewed as a middle management position in in, in some places. Uh, Madden is a lame duck. This is his final year. He is making $6 million. Uh, You know, obviously, if he wins a World Series, I think we all think he's coming back with a, with a new deal. What do you foresee if they don't win a World Series? What do you foresee happening? I mean, obviously, we know the Giants are the one other team that's paying six million dollars to a manager, and he he's not going to be there. So there'll be an opening in San Francisco, and there'll probably be other spots where Joe Madden could could go into if he has to. Do you expect that he'll be back next year with the Cubs, or you think he'll be somewhere else? You know, I think it it depends on how the season goes. I, I'm confident in saying Joe Madden will be a manager in Major League Baseball next season. The question becomes where, and I, I think you hit the scenario on the head. Make the World Series, and you don't win the championship do you say goodbye to a manager who's been as proficient as joe madden has here when you're opening up a restaurant just across the street from wrigley field as joe madden is uh, this year are you gonna say goodbye are they gonna wave goodbye to him i, I think there's there's a dynamic in play obviously that you mentioned but I, I think if the cubs do what the general manager what the president of the team what the owner of the team what joe madden expects to do this season and, and they have uh, a good year I can't imagine they're going to say goodbye, but if things go south, which it doesn't look like it will as long as they stay healthy, then anything's in play. Finishing up with Zach Zabin, who's been kind enough to join us here on Big Time Baseball. And Zach, you mentioned Jason Hayward, I think, is an early season candidate for comeback player of the year. I think a lot of people wrote him off. What about you, Darvish, who's got to start coming back too, right? I mean, it's basically almost a walk in the inning so far this year. What's the prognosis? Well, if he can gain command, he's got this menu of pitches that I think sometimes is a little bit too much. And I think what the Cubs are trying to do is kind of narrow that down. What's his best stuff? And go with the best stuff. I think they want him to use, he has several different varieties of his fastball. And they'd like to see him use that a little bit more. And once he gets control of, of that fastball, I think everything will take care of itself. You know, unfortunately for him, he spent the entire offseason rehabbing from the surgery as opposed to being able to spend the offseason working on his skill set. And I kind of compare it to what happened last year. If you remember Kyle Hendricks, who's been uh, lights out for the Cubs over the course of his career, he was coming off of a, a finger injury, and he spent most of his offseason working on rehabbing as opposed to working on the, the pitching mechanics and everything that you need to do to be successful on the mound. And it took him a little bit of time to get going last year Everyone that you talk to around the Cubs organization will say that you Darvish is close because you can see the stuff. He just hasn't been able to rein it in. That's that's the million-dollar question, uh, a lot more than just a million dollars when you consider uh, what you Darvish was signed for. But I, I think that you have to go with the body of work. Uh, if he's healthy, my guess is he'll be able to, to flip things around. But obviously, it's gone a lot slower than I think the Cubs anticipated when they signed into that big contract last offseason. Zach, lots of great points and great points on Joe Madden, though I'm not sure him opening a restaurant is going to affect his status for next year. We'll see how uh, ownership responds to that. But I did have one more question about ownership in general. The, the Cubs didn't do much this winter for really the first time in a, in a while. And they, they said that they didn't have the money. It seems to be there's a big adherence to the luxury tax threshold or even a fixation on that. Do you, do you think that they're going to stick to that forever? Or, you know, the bullpen has been better, but it does look like maybe some improvements may be necessary to really 
firm things up for this team? Will they be willing to spend, and are they willing to go over that threshold? John, I think what they're willing to do is if they need a bullpen arm that comes around the trading deadline, I don't think they've ever hesitated to make a move if they need to make a move to help make the ball club better. I just think they felt throughout the course of the offseason the financial part of it was one aspect. The other part was that they they felt that they were bringing in two major players that were non-factors last year in Bryant and Darvish. And if they could get those two guys right, those are two major additions to a ball club that had made the playoffs last season. So that's one part of it. But in terms of the bullpen, you are right because their closer, Brandon Morrow, has been shut down for the next two to three weeks. He just got an injection in his elbow. He was trying to come back from off-season elbow surgery. And that's been an issue. They've got Pedro Strope right now as their closer, even though Joe Madden doesn't like to give anybody the, uh, the, the title of closer. But he's really the guy that they look to shut the door in the ninth inning. Steve Ciszek has been bumped up, and he's playing the role that Strope would usually play as the setup man in the eighth inning. Brandon Kinsler has done a, a nice job. He's fixed his mechanics, and he's a guy that they can rely on in the seventh inning. What I think concerns them is from the left side of the pen, you know, Mike Montgomery is trying to work his way back from a a mild lat strain. So they really don't have that left-handed arm out of the pen. Randy Rosario was ineffective, so he's back down in the minors. That's an area where they have to work. And should they suffer another injury to one of those right-handed relievers that I mentioned, then I think you have to make a move at some point. And I don't think they would hesitate to do it, especially in light of the way they're playing. And I think they feel they're as good as any team in baseball. So if they're making that push, I would expect them to make a move in the pen at some point over the course of the season. Great insight from Zach Zaidman. Thank you, buddy. Go Cubs, go. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> See you guys. We've got a wrap coming up for you. One last segment to go. We'll go around the diamond and uh, some of the buzz all around the country. We'll do that in just a moment. We just didn't see a great fit from out here. And he's obviously had had a great career and has been a great player. Just at this point where we are, how our outfield is shaping up. The roster construction didn't, didn't, we didn't see a great fit. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on radio.com sports. Big time baseball. Big time baseball. And this is my favorite part of the podcast kind of strut around and tell me everything you've learned in a week because you're the one that's out there digging around i'm just in a broadcast booth basically you know talking about what's happening down on the field in real time you get to go and and worm your way around and and find out what's really happening so i'm going to shut up and let you tell me about matt kemp first of all intriguing to think about it because he was such an, an amazing player for a while and now everybody just looks at him like he's a big question mark. So where is he taking that question mark next? Yeah, I think that is a big question mark. As a matter of fact, it's going to be hard to, uh, I think, really decipher what's going to happen here with Matt Kemp. Uh, he was not uh, let go at exactly the best time for him, as you'd expect. Uh, he had one walk, 19 strikeouts this year. I mean, obviously a terrific talent, an all-star last year. He certainly, I, we still believe that he can hit since he did so last year, not that long ago. Uh, but he definitely needs to go to the American League. I don't think there's any question about that. I've seen some uh, speculation that he could go back to the Dodgers for a third time. I, I personally don't see that happening. I, I understand uh, that they're a little short right now in the outfield. Um, uh, with injuries, but uh, I'm not seeing that. Kemp, I think, needs to be a DH uh, when it all settles. And, you know, I've heard Cleveland. That's the one team Makes that sense, heard. right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the one team with some outfield questions. And, um, uh, you know, obviously they gave Hanley Ramirez a try earlier as a hitter. So, uh, you know, I think that at this point, Kemp is mostly going to be a DH. So uh, I think Cleveland is a team that could use a hitter and maybe could play a little bit of outfield. But that outfield market is just tough uh, in general. Uh, Obviously, we know veterans have a hard time getting jobs. Cleveland, I think, would be the team. All right, let me ask you about some pitchers. And it's now, it's kind of like a buddy cop drama. Keuchel and Kimbrell, or (laughs) Kimbrell and Keuchel. Have they ever met? I mean, do do these guys... That would be really I, uh, interesting to me to find out because they're, they're joined at the hip with this free agency yes. thing. And you know, are we any closer? Not that I've heard. Uh, we, we really have no evidence that they're closer. I can tell you what executives around baseball are saying and that is they expect both of these guys to go to draft day. And at draft day, 
is when they can sign with another team and not have that draft pick attachment so that uh, the team, the signing team would not have to give up a draft pick. And as we mentioned last week, the Yankees who have picked number 38 do not want to give that up and will be looking at Keuchel in particular uh, on, on draft day if he is still available. Uh, I do believe I will agree with the executives at this point that uh, we're within a month of draft day now, which is early June. And I would say that uh, the likelihood is that both of them, and we have not seen this in the past, that Keuchel and Kimbrell will go to draft day, lose that draft pick attachment, and enhance their value as free agents. But if not, I mean, there are teams out there that would not lose top picks. The Yankees would lose 38, as we said. Uh, the Padres would, I believe, lose a third rounder. I think the Brewers would lose a fourth rounder. Those are two teams San Diego and Milwaukee that have looked at Keuchel a little bit. I think they both looked at Kimbrell as well. But um, those are teams that could potentially look before the draft. And Milwaukee concerned about its pitching, no question about it. San Diego excited about its pretty good start. But uh, at this point, I'm going to say that the likelihood is, and I'm not going to swear to this, the likelihood is that they both wait until the draft to sign and lose that draft pick and attachment and therefore become more valuable to the signing team all right as we continue around the diamond one thing that certainly swiveled my head was was Derek Lilliquist the pitching coach for the Nationals being told he gone uh and it's an odd time for for a pitching coach to get the gate what do we make of that is Davey Martinez on the hot seat here is it too early for that yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to tie Lilliquist to Martinez, although I understand that. It's obviously, the team is not happy with the way things are going, and that's when you make a move, and they fired the, uh, one of the key coaches, the pitching coach of Davey Martinez. I don't they were joined at the hip or best buddies or, any, or anything. I don't see this as a shot at Davey Martinez in any way. And it's pretty clear that Mike Rizzo has supported Davey Martinez publicly. And I talked to Mike Rizzo recently, and he had the same support for Davey, that it's on him and that he should not be blamed for what's gone on. And I will add that he's been without uh, three or four of their best offensive players in recent days, uh, Rendon has been out, Trey Turner has been out, and they've had other injuries, so there's definitely reasons. But you add the fact that disappointing around 500, I believe they were one game over last year, uh, around 500 team, and they've started out uh, below 500 in a very tough division. I think there is pressure. I'm not going to say hot seat yet for Davey Martinez, but I would say there is some pressure on Davey Martinez. It's pretty clear from the strength of the support that Mike Rizzo has given that Davey will be given some more time. I don't think that it's the seat is that hot at the moment, but uh, it is interesting in that division. We've got probably three managers whose seats are uh, starting to be a little bit warm. Mickey Calloway in a similar situation with the Mets, as we mentioned last week, uh, they had a rough first year and haven't gotten off to a fantastic start now with a uh, second year. And Don Manningly, who I think is a, a very good manager, but he's in a tough spot in Miami. And the, the owner uh, or the CEO, Derek Jeter, came out this week and said that not only uh, were they firing uh, the base, the president of the baseball operations, uh, but that he's been disappointed uh, with the team on the field and that they've underperformed. So when you have the leader of the team saying the team is underperformed, you've got to wonder about uh, the manager as well. I, I do think that all three will be given uh, time, maybe even to the end of the year, but it's interesting that uh, more than half of that uh, NLE, very good NL East, uh, I think we're looking at the manager situation right now. Real quick on Jeter, because I'm really interested in this. For his whole life, he walks into a room and the room lights up. Everything he touches turns to gold, you know, the whole Midas touch. And now if it's a Midas touch, everything he touches turns into a muffler, right? I mean, it's just nothing's going as quickly. You know Derek Jeter at least a little bit. And, you know, the, the whole city of Miami hadn't exactly just draped their arms around him like maybe he thought they would. It, 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 there's no buyer's remorse there yet, is there? Or, or is this just so much tougher than he thought it would be that there's that, uh, you know, just kind of creeping thought on his mind, like, what did I what did I get myself into? I haven't heard of any buyer's remorse, but they did pay $1.2 billion. That's a lot of money for the Marlins and the way this team was going and the way the attendance was going and how low their 
TV and radio deals are. A lot of people think it didn't add up. I know that MLB was very pleased with that number, 1.2 billion, so they felt it was high and, and, and sent a, a good message that one of the least or maybe the, even the least successful franchise in baseball was worth over a billion dollars. So, um, you know, I do think they spent a lot for this team, and I, I'm sure they're disappointed with a lot of things that have, have gone on, the attendance. Uh, it has not been good this year. They point to the fact that last year, well, they had uh, Boston come in and the Yankees come in and they had a University of Miami night and all sorts of things, and they haven't had that this year. But uh, it doesn't look good that the attendance has actually gone down a bit. Things have certainly not gone well. I can confirm that. I can't say that they've had buyer's remorse, but they've already changed the hitting coach. They've changed the uh, president of baseball operation, Chip Bowers, who uh, he was – a big wig in the Golden State Warrior organization. I don't know if that's great preparation for going to the Miami Marlins to be with the Golden. To promote the Golden State Warriors, I think is a little bit easier than to promote the promote the Miami Marlins. So I, I don't know exactly what went on there, but he was only in the job 14 or 15 months. So you know, I think Derek Jeter is a very smart man. Uh, he's a very tough man. Uh, he's got a lot of good qualities, uh, but this is a very tough job and it's a very different job than the one he held I, I mean obviously he did have business success with his website uh, he's not just a shortstop uh, he's got a lot of things going for him but I, I think I think he had a rude awakening for in terms of what he expected it to be like and what it actually is like uh, as the Miami Marlins president a CEO and owner it has not gone easily and it's to this point has not gone well no. Well, you know what I like? We, we started talking Florida with Tampa Bay. We end talking Florida. And, John, thanks as always. Love having you uh, as part of this. Want to thank, obviously, Zach Zaidman is, uh, from the Cubs radio pre- and post-game and Thad Levine from the Twins who continue to play some great baseball. Dude, we'll do it again next week. Appreciate you. Sounds good. MLB is going to be happy with us talking about Florida baseball. They need help there. Any little thing we can do, we're here for MLB. That's what we're here uh, for, right? For our good friends at Mercedes, too. So, for John Heyman, it's Josh Lewin. and his Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports. Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Josh Lewin and John Heyman will be back next week, diving into the latest across Major League Baseball. See you! This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.